0: I was thinking as, uh, thank you, worship team and all those who led us. Didn't they do a great job? Um, and let's, let's give them a round of applause. Um, Biobox, did you notice them? No, but didn't they do a great job? And, and I, believe, I believe that is the way it's supposed to measure. If you don't notice them, they're, they're doing a fantastic job. Is that right? Um, and uh, thank you, guys. I, I, I guess... Um, when we applied for a visa for the U.S. on one occasion, I had to kind of list the various countries I'd been to, and, and the list was over forty-five different countries or something. And I think in our time in missions, I've got no idea how many churches I, I know. For about five, six years straight, I was in a different church every week, and and so hundreds of churches, I guess. And I the thought as we were being led in worship this morning, the thought that occurred to me was, you know what, of all the places I've been in the world. There's no place that I would rather be this morning than right here. We are so blessed. So, so thank you so much, guys, for leading us. It was, um, it was wonderful. Father, in that spirit, we, we do feel so blessed to, to have so many um, in the church uh, bringing their gifts and just offering up as a, a sweet offering to you, their time and their talents and abilities to to recognize uh, spiritual gifting from you and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to step into that. I'm going to use that. And thank you for that. And that extends from everything to the, to the welcome at the door, to taking up offering, to morning tea afterwards, and, and then all of those gifts that aren't on a roster, but we exercise uh, week after week after week, such as gifts of encouragement and hope and exhortation and, and so on. So thank you. Thank you for the body that is here and, and thank you for the opportunities that we have to minister to one another. May each and every one of us trust that your spirit has given us something to give someone else. Lord, if we operate in that way, I know that the blessing that, that should be a part of every church family will be, will be ours. Oh Lord, we love you. And we look forward now to all that you have to minister to us through your word. So come, Holy Spirit. You know each and every one of us. You know our situations. You know what is on our heart. Come and speak to us, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Very big welcome, Ross and Heather Henson. Great to, great to see you and, and um, great to have you back, back with us. Welcome, welcome back. We, we trust that you can... You're going to get two summers this year. Uh, a little jealous, um, but great to have you back with us. And, and if you haven't met Ross and Heather, they've been a part of our fellowship for many, many years, but they've been serving with Hellenic Ministries in Greece. Wonderful couple. Please um, get, get to know them. They've been back with us a couple of times this year, but now they're back for good. And it's great to, great to have you with us. It was years ago, but I doubt that Jade or I will ever forget standing in Bunnings and, and looking at what was a sheer thing of beauty. It was a, it was an axe. It had a lifetime warranty. It uh, had a special coating, I don't know, the equivalent in a hardware store of silicon. This thing was just gonna slide through wood and skin and muscle, cartilage, bones, the lot, actually, as I would later discover. Um, taking that new axe, I, I still recall the first time that I, that I chopped a piece of, piece of wood and like a knife through butter, it was, it was beautiful. Um, so much so that I was overconfident and instead of changing the positioning of my feet, I just simply, simply turned my upper torso and went for the next shot. The next shot wasn't as accurate as the first shot. Um, doctors would tell me later that uh, if he had to cut between the tendons of my, my, my toes, uh, he, he could not have done as good a job. As that that axe did. It was a beautiful axe. Still have it today. Still use it, um, but in a slightly different way. So I would learn after a few days in hospital, pumped with, you know, multiple antibiotics and so forth, and. And uh, was then slowly allowed out um, and released onto the world again, um, but a little slower this time with a with a couple of pairs of crutches and so forth and it would be It would be weeks before I was walking properly again and and to be quite honest, every now and again, I still get a little bit of a twitch in in that right foot it's just i don't know just something something. Not quite right there, just from time to time. Most of the time, though, I must say, it's healed beautifully. Very, very thankful for the medical care that is ours here in Australia, and, and I don't notice it. However, spiritually speaking, there can be something like an axe that, that cuts through our life from time to time, and, and that thing is doubts. Doubts can cut through our foundations with, with crippling effect. And in our passage today, we, we read of disciples and followers of Jesus who are at the absolute lowest point of their story thus far of encountering Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Usually we approach these passages around Easter time I was talking to, to Tom during the week, and we were, we were just talking about what a privilege it is to actually slowly work through the passion narrative and, and have a little bit more emphasis on some of these stories. Normally, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're done. Good Friday to Easter Sunday, 48-hour period, and we've, we're, we can move on, and we got through the difficult bit, but... As we've worked through the book of Mark, we've, we've been slowly working through the passion narratives. And to be quite honest, it's, it's been a bit painstaking as we walk with the disciples and the followers of Jesus through these stories. And, and this, again, is, is perhaps the longest Easter we've ever had, in a sense. But if I had to put it into the normal, normal church calendar, today where we are in the book of Mark, today is Easter Sunday. And it's good news, folks. It's good news. But it starts, and our story starts, with doubts. And as I say, doubts in the Christian life and doubts here in the lives of those who sought to follow Jesus, doubts can cut through all of our foundations if left unarrested. And they can have a crippling effect on the Christian life. So we pick up the story in in actually chapter 15, the latter part of chapter 15, verse 42. We're going to read together through to chapter 16, verse 8. Mark chapter 15, 42 to 16, verse 8. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The burial of Jesus. We know that Jesus died around three o'clock in the afternoon. Evening was coming and and the Sabbath began at sunset and, and so they had to work quickly. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a prominent member of the council, which... I guess different to that little quorum that previously had met and condemned Jesus in an unjust trial. This shows us that the Sanhedrin was was larger than than just those who sought Jesus' death. There were some good, pious men meeting on that council as well, and Joseph of Arimathea was one of them. We know from the other passages that Nicodemus actually joined Joseph in this. He was probably fairly wealthy. Um, Pilate's office hours were closed, the times that he was available for public hearings. And so somebody, somebody with some degree of wealth and perhaps prestige, such as Joseph, may actually get a hearing. And he did. And he was able to persuade Pilate to give him the body. Normally, for those who were crucified, the body would be just thrown, discarded, as it were, into a pit. This was unusual and it seems that joseph used his his own family tomb nearby to place the body there had never been a body placed in it before and this he made available for the body of jesus they quickly bought some linen purchased it we know from other passages they also bought some some embalming and and they wrapped the body they placed it in the tomb and then rolled this heavy stone across it. It would have been a disc-shaped stone, and after the tomb was cut into the rock, they would they would leave, as it were, a, a, a little uh, ditch or rut in which this, this disc stone, sometimes around about three feet, not that big, actually, not entirely like the pictures we sometimes see. But maybe most of them were around three feet, enough to bend over and to, and to move in, that would have been rolled into place. But even with a diameter of three feet and, and a thick stone as it was, and, and they had to be heavy so that wild animals couldn't come and devour the bodies, this stone was, was, was large and it was immovable, at least by the women, and that was the problem that they were confronted with later on when they wanted to anoint the body. And so that was the burial of Jesus. Again, from other passages, we have other details, but Mark just gives us the necessary details to help us to understand that in an empty tomb that had never been used before, the body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was laid. What was buried? What was buried in that tomb? It wasn't Jesus, but it was the body of Jesus. It is an interesting thought. Joseph asked in verse 43 for Jesus' body. In verse 45, again, Pilate gave the body to Joseph. And in verse 46, he took down the body. What was wrapped and placed in the tomb was the body. Of Jesus. 1 Peter 3 18 to 19 tells us that the flesh of Jesus died, but his spirit remained alive. Matthew 27 50 tells us that Jesus gave up his spirit. In Luke 23 43, that little conversation with one of the thieves on the cross or one of the rebels. Who placed his trust in Jesus at that moment? Jesus says to him, Today you will be in paradise with me. So, what was in the tomb? The body of Jesus. But where was Jesus? His spirit, the real Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, in that moment had risen. And going on the words of, Jesus' words to the thief, it was in heaven or paradise. They're synonymous. Jesus was in heaven. He was reunited with his Father. What did he do for this three-day period? Not literally three days, but but this three-day period between the death when the Spirit had departed from the body. Where was he? What was he doing for those three days? Was it just at the right hand of the Father? Well, It's an interesting question, and we have hints in Scripture that there was more going on here. We know, again, from 1 Peter 3.19, that he preached to the spirits in prison. What spirits? Well, Jude 1.6 tells us that there were fallen angels. We often think of all fallen angels as, well, that that horde of demons that that operate to varying degrees in, in this earthly realm. And, and certainly, that is the case. But it would appear from, from Jude 1, six that, that there are other demons, fallen angels, that were held in captivity. And it was to them that, that Jesus went to, to proclaim this ultimate victory. For that's what the word preached means, to proclaim. So Jesus went to proclaim God's ultimate victory over all things to, to these spirits, these fallen angels, perhaps. But, but what prison were they in? Were they in hell? Did Jesus go to hell? The Bible doesn't say that. The word for this prison, perhaps as close as we can get, is, is Hades, the realm of the dead, a temporary place but not hell, the lake of fire, the final judgment. So I guess if we put these pieces together, there is a period in which the body of Jesus is in the tomb. Jesus himself has risen, and there was a, a sense in which he was in paradise at that time, but, but then there is this, this inference that he was also preaching to the spirits in prison. And we can only speculate a little bit because we only have snippets of information about what that might have looked like, what that might mean and what that might be. But we do see that Jesus was alive and very active in this particular time. And then later on, through multiple resurrection appearances to many, many people, on one occasion over 500, then, then we know that... That Jesus did, even though he had this new heavenly heavenly position, he did actually come to earth, make multiple appearances before his ultimate ascension, where he did, at that time, rise to the right hand of God and where he is today remaining at the right hand. The other thing that perhaps he did in these, this short period is that Ephesians 4.8 tells us that he led many captives in his ascension. What captives are they? This, this is a particular term which, which talks about when a particular kingdom is, is overtaken, the conqueror would lead captives from that city in a triumphal display through the new kingdom. And of course, we too are those those who have been captivated by Christ and are now entering a part of that triumphant band, marching through his new kingdom. And so perhaps as he led captives, as he ascended and led captives, perhaps here we, we are talking about Abraham and, and Joshua and David and, and all those who by faith were counted as being righteous and, and now had that righteousness accredited to them. Maybe it was them that he was leading leading captive. Again, little snippets, just inferences of what it was that perhaps Jesus was doing. But clearly, Jesus was not in the tomb. Not the real Jesus. His body was. But he was raised from the dead three days after, just as he said. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, chapter 16, 1, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices, perhaps now to to anoint Jesus' body. It's just after sunrise. I recall on one occasion, I think I've told you the story after a whole lot too too much coffee, walking around Rabat in Morocco in the early hours of the morning with a friend, round and round, because... Frankly, Moroccan coffee was very strong and we just could not sleep. And um, I noticed that in the early hours of the morning, the streets were still alive. And so it was in Jerusalem in the early hours of the morning, the streets were already alive. Some vendors, because of the heat of the day, had already set up shop. And so they were able to to acquire what it was that they needed to early in the morning head out to to the tomb. It was just after sunrise. They started to talk to each other on the way about the practicalities of of this mission that they were on. Who's going to roll the stone away for them? And perhaps in the backs of their mind, they had just hoped that there were other people in the area that they might call upon to help them. Whatever, they hadn't really thought through this this particular detail, but had hoped that somehow somebody would be able to to assist them in this endeavour. But when they got there, they looked and they saw the stone had been been rolled away and a young man dressed in a white robe. In, in so much Jewish thinking and literature, angels were seen to be dressed in white. And, and yet, perhaps immediately, they didn't recognise him as an angel. I don't know if you've, you've seen an angel. I think in my life, I probably have two encounters where... I think, I will check when I get to heaven, I will check on the detail, but two encounters. One was as a daydreamy young schoolboy, walking to walking to school, just lost in thoughts and probably half asleep, to be quite honest as well, and I recall crossing a particular street which rarely had a car on it, and crossing a particular street to in Greensboro, over to War Memorial Park, and I would just in my daydream, and I remember stepping right on the curb and then feeling a hand stop me physically as a car shot by. I was jolted, I was alarmed, but from memory, my best best childhood recollection, I do not recall my senses being awakened to the danger of the car and stopping myself. And when I went to work out who was it who stopped me, thinking that some some kind adult had quickly jumped in the way, there was no one, there was nothing. I clearly remember that. And God, in that moment, felt very, very real to me. Another occasion, I've told this story before, but Jonathan McCreese and I were in Athens, and, and he tells this story on a regular basis, although not in a particularly flattering way. I uh, won't tell you that version, but, but I recall a situation where, where there'd been an accident um, in, in Greece, um, uh, tempers can flare, and, and yet for me, I, I can rarely tell when Greeks are happy and telling a joke and, and arguing and about to slaughter one another. It's much the same kind of tempo and rhythm. And uh, so I'm watching this crowd and this, this guy who is either telling Jonathan a joke or is about to hit him. And I'm watching it unfold thinking, should I intervene or not? I don't know. I can't quite... And at one point, I think, no, I think this is going to go badly. And I took a step forward and this, this elderly man just put a, put a hand in front of me as if to say, let it play out. And I thought, this is interesting. I'm trying to understand the culture and so forth. And, and in that moment... Jonathan copped one, and it was a goodie. It was a backhand, um, and it was right across the face. I felt terrible, like I totally misread the situation. I should have intervened. Then this big dude, tall, Germanic-looking, blonde hair, he had a jumper on, which was a bit odd because it was, it was hot. He just appeared from nowhere. I don't recall seeing him before. He put his hands on the shoulders of the guy who had just swung at Jonathan and, and just seemed to gently whispering like it was his, his friend. And with that, the man turned around, and this, this, this big guy turned, turned him around as well and led him away. So then my attention turned to Jonathan, and I went over to him and said, hey, sorry about that. Did you see that? Did, where is that guy? And Jonathan said, what guy? And I said, the big, the big tall guy that, that turned him around. He said, I didn't see him. And then I looked around and I, I couldn't see him as well. And it was a Sunday. It was a quiet day in the streets of Athens. And I looked up and down the street and I, just gone, just gone. I'll check that one in heaven as well. But I'm going with, I'm going with an angel. Thing is, you don't always know. I think in the moment, and I don't know if you have had similar experiences. You just don't always know. There's just that little shadow of a doubt. It, 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 it's not so alarming and so surprising that you, that you might feel like, whoa, you're out of some sort of, you know, uh, Marvel comic or something like that. No, no, it all seems rather normal, and yet something doesn't quite seem right. And then, huh? You do the math, and you think, I wonder, I wonder. And I wonder if that's how it sort of unfolded at the tomb as well. Something, something seemed normal and something was very not normal. <laughs> there was this young man dressed in white, and presumably, he's described as such, he looked like a young man, but dressed in white. And pious and righteous people in those days did wear, right? So was he just there? But what was he doing sitting at the, on the stone where Jesus' body was laid, and Yet very, very calmly, he just declares to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples. And Peter, which is a lovely touch, isn't it? Well, they were alarmed. Something felt right and something felt very wrong. I mean, obviously the fact that Jesus' body was missing, that's a good start. But the way that everything is unfolding, the whole scene before them and from the other passages that we read which fill in some of the gaps here, the angelic, the angelic visitation, the, the way things unfold, the declarations of Jesus rising and the command to, to go and, and instructions on what to do after this, all of it is all just a little bit bewildering and a little bit alarming for the women on this occasion. They'd just potentially seen an angel. They had not yet encountered the risen Christ. They had a word that was on its own difficult to understand and and comprehend. and, And so the Greek here to describe their disposition is their is, is ecstasy? there's a blend of fear and bewilderment, but maybe also wonder. Perhaps one of my, my favourite depictions of the, the whole scene is, is actually from Lion, Witch and Wardrobe. I love that scene where, where the two girls are walking away absolutely despondent from the altar on which Aslan is is obviously being killed. They walk down the steps behind them. There is this earthquake. The ground is shaking. They look around and he's gone. And they run back up the steps to the altar and they're just staring. And again, the look on their faces is one of sheer bewilderment and wonder. And what, what has happened here? Aslan hasn't yet appeared and I get the sense that the movie in that moment accurately captures perhaps what the women were encountering here as well. They just didn't comprehend the significance of all that was happening. But here is the significance of the resurrection for us. Since that time to today... The bodily resurrection of Jesus has come under attack by many, many sceptics. What does it mean for those of us who believe? It's captured, I believe, in the words of the angel in chapter 16, verse 7. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as He told you. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate declaration. It's the ultimate, I told you so. If God would ever lower himself to such a phrase, this is where he gets to do it. I told you so. Matthew 12, verses 38. The Pharisees don't believe Jesus and they say, well, come on, give us a sign, give us a sign. But Jesus, knowing them and knowing their hearts, he said, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. Now, cast your minds back, Old Testament, Jonah, 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 Ah, sent to preach, didn't like the deal, jumped on the boat, went the opposite direction, Um, ship was about to be wrecked, had to confess that he was being disobedient to God, thrown overboard, swallowed by a whale. Favourite Sunday school story. We all love to draw that picture, didn't we? In the valley of the whale, there for three days, he's finally spat up on the shore and gets on with his mission. Three days he was as good as dead. Jesus says, no sign but the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah would turn out to be Jesus' greatest miracle of all and God's chief sign that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah and established Christ's claim to deity. It was just as he told you. We can have many, many doubts in the Christian life, many doubts that creep in, doubts that, that cut to our very foundations, doubts that can cripple. But on this matter, you must not doubt. It is just as he has said. Jesus was raised from the dead. It's absolutely critical to our gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. It gives us hope for the future. So that in 1 Corinthians 15:22 we read, "For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive." Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he is who he said he is? Do you believe that he died for your sin? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Then you know he will also raise you from the dead as well. It is just as he has said. It is just as he has told you. Don't doubt. Probably 11 years ago, I had pastored as a youth pastor and managed to avoid as many funerals as possible. That was my ultimate aim as a youth pastor. But when I started here some 11 years ago, I could no longer avoid that. <laughs> and with fear and trembling, I tackled my first funeral and, and then my second. And, and we've shared together as a church family, haven't we, some very, very special moments. Of which has been a great privilege to share in you, with you in the grief of losing a loved one. I've got to say now and not in any morbid way, that funerals have become one of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor. And I cherish those times. Yes, because together, as you gather your family around and some who don't believe, we get to proclaim the gospel together. And yes, because we get to speak of, we speak of the, the mystery of sometimes not knowing all that we would want to know, But we also get to speak of the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so we've sat together, sometimes in silence, and we've shared tears together. But the grief is different because we have a hope. We have a hope in Jesus. That's our future hope, friends. But it's not just a future hope, it's a hope for now as well. In Mark chapter 12, the Sadducees were, were confronting Jesus with a, a remarkable hypothetical that they had created about a woman who was a little unlucky and had multiple husbands and whose wife shall she be at the resurrection. But it was really a dig at the resurrection. And and Jesus says to them at this time, you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. You do not know the scriptures nor do you know the power of God. Here, in this triumphal moment, Jesus his greatest miracle of all and god providing the chief sign that he was who he said he was it is as he had told us here we learn about the power of god and you have heard me share with you my wonder at this verse from ephesians ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 and and 19 let me let me read both of them to you paul praying for the christians there in ephesus and perhaps a circular letter beyond i pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great Power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength, verse 20, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Power for us who believe. There is immense power available to all of us. Not in our doubts, but in our belief. Blair was talking about December 1st, Sunday evening, baptism service. We'll do it again. We will, we will have people testify that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, and, and they, will be, they will be pushed under the water, symbolizing that they have, they have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer they that lives. And then they will rise up to share in the life of Jesus Christ, just as God raised Him from the dead. He raises us up as well. And celebrate the power that is now at work in each of us. It's a future hope and it's a present hope. It says, for every doubt that you ever experience, there is power. For every time you stumble, there is power. For every habit you can't break, there is power. For every impossible situation that we encounter, there is power. For every mountain that's in our way, there is power. For every sea that seems to block our path, God will make a way, there is power for every infirmity for every for every sin for everything that comes our way there is power for us as a church there is power there is power for us who believe that's the relevance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ just as he was raised from the dead the same power that that did that immense power God is exerting that same power on your behalf and mine as well. That's sanctifying power. That's power to walk as Jesus walked. it's power to walk on earth as we are known in heaven. All the power you could want. So no matter how hopeless your situation, you've heard me say this before. I'm, I'm sorry if, if this just sounds like a broken record, but if it were to break, and I had to just keep repeating myself, I think this would be one of my... One of the places I'd love to repeat again and again and again. Oh, folks, there is so much power, all the power you need. All the power that, that is in heaven is available to you and I. Power here on earth to live the life that we are being called to live. Power that gives you hope, power that gives me hope. Power that should put a bit of a kick in your step and a spark in your day. Immense power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead available to you and I. If you just walk away with one thing today, just know this. The resurrection means hope. Why? Hope for the future because we will be raised with Jesus Christ, but hope for the present as well because all the power of heaven is at your disposal. Power to live the life you've always wanted. It's all there. With that much power, There is no reason to stay in your rut. There is no reason to stay in your despair or your despondency or wherever it might be that the enemy has you trapped. There just is no excuse to stay there. That is the life of doubts and we are called to so much more. God is calling us to to a life of hope, a life of belief, a life of faith, to believe that that power is available to you and I. Folks, the resurrection is a story of hope. It tells us of the hope that is in Christ Jesus. But you noticed and I noticed as well, this is a strange ending in the book of Mark, isn't it? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And, and this is one of those little moments in your Bibles where you think, what do I do with the next passage, you know, the, the next verses? It says the earliest manuscripts and ancient witnesses do not have these verses. In other words, we have thousands of manuscripts so that you can have great confidence in the Word of God. But the earliest and most reliable ones just don't have this passage. So what does that mean? Well, there are two schools of thought, and, and this is why this lands in your Bible, but possibly has a line there or is italicized or something. But the two schools of thought are this. One... It possibly was was added later by by Mark or or those who, who were close to Mark. Perhaps it was something that was supposed to be there that got lost. They put it back in. We're not sure. We're just not sure. But there's another school of thought that says, no, in Greek literature, actually, to give an abrupt ending to a story and create the power of suggestion was actually a literary device that was often used. Was Mark doing that here? Was it supposed to be an abrupt ending? And they said nothing to anyone. And here's the irony. We know from chapter 7, verses 36, Jesus said to to those after a great healing, now, don't tell anyone. I command you, don't tell anyone. Next verse. They went and told everyone. (laughs) So here's the little irony here. Right at the end, after the greatest miracle at all, they're now told by the angel, go tell everyone. Go tell everyone and make sure you tell Peter too. And they said nothing. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's where Mark leaves it. It's, it's abrupt, isn't it? But if it is that kind of literary device, then the power of suggestion is meant to do this. It's to prompt you to say, but you know it didn't finish there. And so like finishing a sentence, you finish the story, you go on and you know that those dear women at this particular point in time said nothing to anyone, but then gathering themselves and gathering the courage and unable to keep it a secret... They eventually did tell the disciples, who didn't believe them, by the way, and had to head out to the tomb themselves. So we know that eventually they did become key witnesses to this event. But is Mark here giving us an abrupt ending to make the point that at this particular moment, immediately after seeing this angel and hearing this news, they were afraid and they didn't say anything And is it a reminder to us that we can live in a place of doubt where we decide to live a lesser, a smaller story, to draw back? I wouldn't say wither on the vine, but Certainly not be as fruitful as what we're called to be. To hold back and just say, I choose to live a safer Christianity. Because that way I don't get pruned. (laughs) Or to believe everything that he has told you. It is just as he has told you. To choose to walk on earth as we are known in heaven and to believe that Jesus has gone ahead of us. One day we will see him there. It is just as he told you. To believe. To believe and to and to live a larger story because we are a part of God's story and frankly God lives a large story. And as children of Children of our Father, we are called to be a part of that story, to step forward, to step up, to, to step into that dangerous place of faith where we, we're out there, we're out there, but we choose to believe. We are not called to, to that rut of doubts. We are called to the place of faith. We are called to believe that it is just as he has told you. And we have a choice. We have a choice today. We'll have a choice in probably just a few minutes' time. I'll finish up. We'll share communion together. The band will play. We'll finish off the service. And then what will it be? Will you choose doubts or will you choose belief? What will you speak to one another as we share after the service? Will you have a message of hope we have a message of encouragement to somebody, or were you lost in doubt? We'll have a choice. Two ways to walk this out. My prayer is that, that we as a church will believe. We'll believe it is just as he has said. We will believe that he has risen from the dead, and that gives us great hope for the future, but great hope for now as well. There is power. And will we speak that into each other's lives? Will we listen to the difficulties and the pains and the suffering, but then will we speak hope into that? Will we acknowledge the power of God to transform any situation? Will we do that for one another? Will we take each other by the hand and, 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 and help each other along here? Will we, will we do that? Will we make sure everybody comes along on the journey, this incredible journey that God is calling us to together. Will we do that for one another? Will we speak, will we believe in the power of God and speak that power to one another and over one another? Will we do that? Because that's our choice this morning. We can be afraid and choose to say nothing. Or we can be filled with the hope of God and choose to speak faith into one another's lives. I know I know the power if we choose the latter not the former it's absolutely transformational and as we as we come to celebrate communion together we're going to hold two elements that remind us why we choose to believe why we choose to rise up, why we choose to walk out a larger story and why why we have the faith that is within us. These two elements tell us that Jesus has done it all. These two elements tell us that no matter what your story is, is saying at this particular chapter, no matter how hard it is or how tough it is, these two elements remind you of the power of God to break through. The curse of sin and death is broken. You are free. You are free to be all that God has called you to be. Let's pray, shall we? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the reminder You have indeed risen from the dead, Jesus Christ. It's real. And the same power that did that is our assurance that we will spend eternity with you. It is just as you say. And that power is available to us today to overcome. It is just as you say. We're reminded that that for wherever Sin in our lives is a hindrance or a block. As we confess our sin, you are faithful and just. You forgive us our sin and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your blood was shed to cover all sin, your body broken on our behalf. It is no longer we that lives, but it is Christ Jesus who lives within us. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you for these emblems of hope, the hope we have in you. As we share these together, would you let faith arise once more? Would you cast all doubts away, Father? Would they no longer cripple us? Would we cast the the crutches aside and walk in firm belief? as you have called us to. Help us, Jesus, in this, we pray.